0: B Corp is kind of shortened for benefit corporation. The idea is that you're a business that is putting the benefit to community or society at least equal to profit, if not above profit.
1: We've all been in the creative business for more than 20 years and love almost everything about it. But we have to admit, there are times when it's a shit show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of the design and marketing business, and share ideas and support that get us through the day. And sometimes we'll just shoot the shit. So, welcome to the Creative
2: Shit Show.
3: Well, my fellow shit showers—is that the right term? Should we use that? Shit showers, shitters, shitters, maybe. This (laughs) my fellow. Shit uh, show shitters? That's a tongue twister. No, just shitters. Uh, listeners, try that one for a bit. Hey, I'm excited today to um, have my friend Gage Mitchell on the show, but also to introduce all the things that he is doing out in the world. And so here's our little intro. So, Gage is the principal and creative director of Modern Species, uh, a wonderful strategic branding and sustainable design agency working with purpose driven sustainable product companies to scale their brand and grow their impact. I love that. I've had the great pleasure to call him a colleague and friend. And also, I have a variety of nicknames for him. Maybe those will come out during (laughs) the show. Um, And we also had a chance to co-work with a group of fellow AIJers on uh, a project called The Path to Impact that we'll get into a little later. And that's uh, AIJ's impact design methodology. And I've had the great pleasure to talk about life and business while sipping on bourbon and other libation. Indeed. So Gage, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, shitters. I'm excited to be here and shit with you.
2: <laughs> Your co-shits for the day. That's right. <laughs> yes.
3: Guest <Well>, shitter. <laughs> Gage, let's, let's get started right away. I'm so excited just to be able to share your perspective on things. So uh, why don't we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about your business and the type of work that you do?
0: Sure. So my agency is called Modern Species. Uh, the name was chosen because we like to think we help our clients' brands evolve, but mostly to evolve to the changing times of the business environment, to the needs of the planet, to the consumer demands, etc. of brands that are doing something more impactful for the world rather than just extracting and making a money grab. And because we focus on sustainable design, we like to think of ourselves as the modern species of designers as well where we're thinking more holistically about our projects trying to design for the whole system that that project will live within make more sustainable choices so that our mission-driven brands that we're working with actually get executed in an authentic way that lives up to their values so we've been running the studio for over 13 years now focused on just mission-driven brands in general but As we've developed, we've kind of found a a tighter niche within the consumer packaged goods industry, helping like food and beverage brands or personal care brands that are organic, regenerative, fair trade, you know, all those kind of uh, better for the world claims. We help those brands compete in the marketplace so that ideally their products grow so that they can scale their positive impact. So we focus a lot around brand development, package design, websites, et cetera.
3: That's awesome. Yeah. But wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that design can actually make impact in the world? Is that what you're trying to tell me right now?
0: I mean, that's what my friend Justin Aaron's told me a long time ago. But you know, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. No, but seriously. I mean, like, by the
4: way, your <laughs> brand mark is awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, sweet! That's a compliment coming from a much more talented illustrator than <laughs> myself. But, but for those but not, it, not that doesn't know, it's a uh, it's a winged polar bear that we have dubbed. Ursus maritimus, Alice, or just Ursus for short. <laughs> <laughs> and we just like th- smash some Latin terms together. That means uh, winged bear of the sea. Um, but it was the <laughs> awesome. idea that if we as humans are gonna heat up the planet and melt all the ice caps, and yeah. then what are polar bears gonna do? They're gonna have to evolve. To adapt and maybe grow some wings, fly south and eat a bunch of Canadians and then Americans eventually. I love <laughs> so that. The idea is that a like you know I what that it's a not backstory. about saving the planet; <laughs> it's about saving ourselves because if we don't if we don't fix this stuff, we're all gonna from, die from the winged polar bear. First no, stop
3: yeah. Canada. I had no idea there's a backstory, but but seriously, yeah. before we we kind of move forward, but why impact design? Like what what about that? What about design in particular? Do you feel um, that it can uh, do or make an impact or, you know, uh, really help, you know, kind of make a ding in, in all the, some of the crazy we have going on.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everyone here probably agrees that design is a powerful tool, right? Design can change cultures. It can, uh, help businesses grow. It can solve communication challenges. It can make things more functional and so on and so forth. So I don't have to, uh, speak to the fact that design is powerful, but my perspective is that, with power comes responsibility. And for example, when I was on traveling um, for a little while in between jobs, I quit the job I was working on. This was before I started the studio. But I was traveling in like Southeast Asia, for example. And you see um, in Cambodia, people burning Lay's potato chip bags in their front yard because at the time that I was there, they didn't have uh, waste recovery systems and so on and so forth. And you see piles of water bottles from all the tourists and all these kind of things, because in their country, you know, previous to globalization, a lot of their food, they would just package up in banana leaves and other things like that that would compost. But with globalization, you know, we're shipping products that were designed by someone like you and me over to countries where they don't have trash cans and landfills and other things like that, that'll just make the garbage disappear. So it's more obvious, not that it's good for us to just throw stuff away here it still lives in the landfill forever. Right. But it just made it more obvious to me and probably to them that they're just burning this trash in their front yard, the, you know, those black soots going everywhere, it gets caught in your nose and your ears and other things like that. And it just makes it very forefront and obvious. And I asked myself the question on in various points of my travel of, you know what, someone like me had some influence along the way, if they had known where this was going or what kind of the whole system looked like for a recovery system or end of life, for packaging or materials or ink usage or anything else, maybe they could have made a different decision and kind of spoke up and helped change how these companies are producing product or what kind of what their packaging looks like. So I, I decided that when I was gonna come back from those travels and and figure out what I wanted to do next, that I wanted to design in a more responsible way, because as designers, we make a lot of decisions and we have a lot of influence. And if all we're doing with that decision and influence is selling a bunch of garbage that people don't need to help make rich people richer then how are we really contributing in the world (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we're not necessarily helping we're hurting but if we can help the companies that are trying to do a better thing and help them with our expertise and our knowledge do it in a way that actually benefits the world or does as little harm as possible (laughs) then then we're actually using our skills in the way that they should be used you know like if you have power over something you should use that power to help others it was my perspective so that's that's why i've for the last you know 13 plus years focused shifted my focus to figuring out how to use the power of design to make the world a better place in some way
2: oh you're like a spider gauge
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm your friendly neighborhood spider gauge (laughs) there's another
3: nickname adding it to the list right now (laughs)
0: <laughs> Actually, my friends in college used to always call me the monkey or something too, because I just love climbing on everything—oh my god, <laughs> climbing or whatever else. So it's there's spider fun. gauge, there's monkey gauge, there's ginger snap, as Justin might call me. Oh my gosh ginger
4: snap. <laughs>
3: that's a whole other story. We won't. That, that's uh, that's not for a family show
0: like ours. Oh no. <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs>
0: got to keep it PC here, people. You
2: can't say stuff like that and then pique my curiosity. <laughs>
1: So Modern Species is, it's a B Corp. So what does that mean? What are your hopes for the overall B Corp movement?
0: Oh yeah. So I know there's some other B Corps on here. I know at least uh, Justin's agency is maybe some others, but um, B Corp is kind of shortened for benefit corporation. The idea is that you're a business that is putting the benefit to community or society at least equal to profit, if not above profit. So all B Corps are either have to change their entity to being a benefit corp, which changes your corporate structure to only focusing on shareholder value to also focusing on your mission of your company. Or you just have to uh, change your articles if you're going to stay in LLC or something like that. You change your articles to um, focus on impact. But there's also an, an assessment that's a pretty robust assessment that covers multiple categories like community and environment and governance, et cetera, where you kind of... As a company, you go through and fill out this assessment, and it ranks you on a scale from zero to 200 points, uh, max possibility. To become a certified B Corporation, you have to get at least 80 points out of that 200. Mm -hmm. Um, And those points can be kind of spread across different categories. So some companies are like, just crush it in governance, like they're just really good for their employees they make good decisions they have accountability they you know a bunch of those other kind of things and then maybe they're weak in environment etc so they try to make it flexible for different business types but as a design agency um, I've been working with B Corps and companies that are one percent for the planet or fair trade or carbon neutral for so long that it felt like (laughs) I was going to all these events and feeling something like an imposter and I also try to run my business in a good way it just didn't seem for a while like relevant to a tiny design studio to apply for this because we don't have supply chains. We don't have inputs and outputs and so on and so forth. But at some point, I just decided, you know what? We, we live in the circle. We work in the circle. We may as well be part of the, an official part of the community. So we went through the whole process, which is quite a process. Justin can probably attest to that. But I had to get multiple people to help me through it just to get through the assessment. Uh, it's a lot of work. But you go through the assessment, you get your score, and then you submit it and the B Corp team then reviews it, and they come back with questions and ask for verification and documentation on different things. You go through multiple rounds of that, and then whatever your score ends up at the end, if it's above 80, you can be certified. You just have to change your articles of incorporation or your entity type or whatever to make it official. You pay your B Corp fees that helps them stay in business and do these assessments. And then you get to use that mark for three years. And ideally, during those three years, you're setting goals for improvement and making changes so that the next time you recertify, because you have to recertify every three years, the next time you recertify, hopefully you've made some improvements and you can increase your score. So, so we just what, did our first recertification, score? and we jumped 15 percent 15 points or something wow. like that in the score. So wow. I was excited 15 points about that.
3: That's huge, dude. Congrats.
0: Yeah, thanks. So what have the, what what are the
1: individual and business benefits been from being a B Corp?
0: I think for, right. you know, for beside me, it was.
1: Ones, beside, obviously, the ones that, you know, working with other companies that are B Corps and creating that relationship.
0: Yeah, for me, I think it was mostly like putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak, where, you know, I say, hey, yeah, we also do good things for the world. We practice sustainable design. Where. are tried to take care of our employees and we work for mission-driven businesses. But for me, it was, you know what? I say all those things, but can I prove it? Can I be assessed by a third party? And can I maybe do better than I'm doing right now? So it was partly just going through the process and seeing where I'm lacking. Like I might think I'm crushing it, but I didn't know there was this other kind of thing over here in HR that I could be doing to make things better. Or, you know, I thought I was working with a small local bank, but um, maybe working with a B Corp bank or working with a co-op or, uh, a, sorry, credit union or something would be better. So it's also this kind of community of improvement. So it helps you kind of understand where you actually are as a company, and then you can see where you can improve easily, or you can see where you can set goals to improve. So it's kind of more just like putting my money where my mouth is. is Is the main thing for me since you know I believe in this and and think it's important to. Um, have third-party verification that's also part of why we signed up for one percent for the planet we were already making donations but it's nice to just have someone else verify it and say yep they made those donations and they did this percentage or something like that but benefits after signing up which weren't my original intention i have heard through the b corp community that during these times of like the great resignation where everyone's having a hard time finding staff and such that The B Corp friends I have, I have a flood of applications and the non-B Corp friends I have that run businesses are struggling to find employees. Hmm. So I think maybe that's a benefit. It's better for recruiting. For me, working in the mission-driven business space, it helps us connect with some of our clients, right? So like walking a trade show a couple years back, uh, we had our B Corp badge on and our 1% for the planet badge on and just walking around talking to people. Ended up like sampling some product because we work in the food industry. So we're sampling, and the president of that company came up and saw our badges and I was like, Oh, you're B Corp and you're 1%. So are we? Let's find a time to chat after this. We're looking for a new design agency. So there are times like that where those values aligned will help you get some business. Um, but for me, the original goal was just to, you know, I believe in this stuff. I want to also have to go through these same hoops that other people do and prove that I'm doing it right, but also find ways I can improve.
2: Do you think that consumers are getting savvier about, um, you know, value aligning with businesses? I mean, I do a lot of writing for um, environmentally friendly companies and I've seen some of it, but for someone who works dedicated in that space, I'd be curious what the consumer sentiment is, if they even understand you know at that level b corp or can identify what it means you know beyond just you know i like these things because they're natural looking or natural feeling
0: yeah i know in my industry there's like this common joke of a gabillion freaking certifications around like it's confusing for consumers and complicated Mm -hmm. for businesses in the space because you have to Mm -hmm. decide do I need to get non GMO verified if I'm already organic? Because organic means non GMO, but not everyone knows that. And then, you know, which fair trade symbol? There's like five different fair trade symbols and they all mean different things. And which one of those should I get? And then there's things like compostable or biodegradable that have regulation around them. And it's like home compostable versus commercial compostable. And, and then, like, to add on the layer of B Corp and 1% and green business and all these other kind of things, it is a very confusing world. With that said, the research that I've seen shows that the organic mark has good um, power in the consumer market for um, intent to purchase. But the non-GMO mark has maybe stronger intent to purchase because they did a really great campaign around getting laws around GMO Mm -hmm. put in place, which caused a lot of consumer knowledge. But it's also like a much simpler an easier to communicate message. They're just talking about one problem, GMOs, whereas organic is a very complex thing, right? But I literally just read an article yesterday that said the most powerful combination is organic plus non-GMO. So even though it's redundant, if you have those two symbols on your package, it's more powerful than either one of them alone. And then to your point of B Corp, um, from what I've read, 1% for the planet has really good or is good and increasingly good consumer uh, awareness around what 1% for the planet stands for. And B Corp is still up and coming in terms of consumer awareness. I think B Corp has more resonance with the business community, with the business for good community, like people that work in the space and know kind of what it means. But from a consumer standpoint, I don't think it has as much leverage right now. So a lot of our clients put B Corp on the back panel, And maybe like 1% on the front panel or non GMO and organic on the front panel of packaging. And it kind of comes down
2: to like design again, right? Because when I go to the store and I may not understand all of those certifications and symbols and things, you know, if I can tell the package has a certain look and feel to it and then has kind of the right you know vibe about it i mean i hate to say that that's how i pick things but sometimes it is you know it's just i'm like oh that's cool you know and especially because i've read a lot about um you know or written a lot also about hemp and um you know cbd you know packaging for cosmetics and other things and you know, it does such a powerful job of taking away the stigma of, of maybe what was once considered undesirable, you know, products or, or things that actually have miraculous benefits for your, you know, skin or anxiety or whatever. I mean, Absolutely. To me, it sounds like That's messaging, like, marketing and design are really like, you know, the key to success, regardless of how many certifications sure. you have.
0: And that's like, you know, in progress, like the hemp movement has been in progress for decades, right? And the organic movement's been in in progress for like multiple decades, et cetera. Um, So sometimes it just takes time, but it's also clarity, like, and this is part of design to your point, like non-GMO is effective because it's so clear. It's like, you know exactly what they're fighting against. Whereas organic, even 40 years later, it's still confusing. (laughs) Like people, people are (laughs) still... Consumers are still trying to figure out what it means. And the same thing with 1% for the planet. You get that. People are donating for the planet. B Corp, it's kind of confusing. It's complex, right? So it's like the power of clarity is also there. If you're very concise and clear, it'll resonate more quickly. If you're a complex message, it's going to take time, and you may never be completely clear.
4: Um, you you obviously are very knowledgeable in this, this space, and... I, I have a couple of questions kind of spinning off of what um, what has already been asked, but in a little different way, and that is like, I, I like following a couple uh, organic accounts on Instagram because they they get into these like alternate ways of um, like food processing or packaging of food and so, I figured you'd probably have a good response to this and that is, you know, I remember seeing one company where they, they took avocado seeds and they were able to make, um, biodegradable and, and um, ways of utensils that didn't, you know, wasn't plastic, wouldn't, um, harm the environment. They would break down naturally. I see that I see like hemp plastics, and the product uh, packaging that can be done with that and it it just makes me wonder why hasn't there been a wholesale shift with like the major manufacturers of packaging to adopt those principles and get out of using you know it it kind of frustrates me i go to safeway the local grocery store okay no no longer have plastic bags you either use use um you know uh, paper bags which is fine or you, you bring in your own reusable one, but then everything you're shoving into it has all this plastic in it. And I'm just going, well, why can't they just, <laughs> if they can make a wholesale change like that, start developing these other materials. Is there a reason why that hasn't taken off more?
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like, I could geek out on this for hours. It's, uh, <laughs> you're sparking me here, but... Uh there's it's so freaking complex and the problem ne- isn't necessarily intention of the companies companies are trying like i've had clients invest like one client that's relatively small invest half a million dollars trying to figure out a non gmo compostable stand up pouch because there's like eight at the time that they did this like 17 18 billion stand up pouches every year that are like used and thrown away in the consumer marketplace so those stand-up pouches, because they're flexible plastic, by which I mean if they get up get into a re- recycling facility, they sit flat like paper, which means that they can't be separated from paper, which means that they pollute the paper into indes- like the paper recycling mm. industry. No, so about that. flexible um, packaging either gets caught in the gears or sits flat and ends up um, polluting paper pack or recycling. So they were saying like recycling is probably not the path. It's going to be a long time until all recycling facilities change their systems to accept flexible packaging. Rigid plastic is easier to um, move, but it's also heavier weight, costs more for shipping, is more expensive, is more material, more petroleum or whatever else. Yeah, The
1: item that kills me is laundry detergent.
0: Mm, Yeah. So like you're shipping liquid and it's in a heavy container and a bunch of other stuff. So it's like, so the big movement there is changing laundry detergent from a liquid to a a powder or Mm -hmm. a pod or a a strip or something like that. Right. But to your point, the packaging is complex, not just because maybe those materials are more expensive or harder to manufacture, but also just because performance in, in the marketplace, like we, um, wrote this article years ago on compostable packaging and and kind of the trials and tribulations of figuring it out. And one company, for example, uh, Guayaki, which makes a mate, uh, which is kind of an alternative to tea, but they uh, put their products in compostable packaging, but the compostable material was so rigid that the packages would like on the corners would stab each other in their shipping boxes. And then the retailers would open up a box and it was just mate was everywhere. Right. So they, lost a bunch of product (laughs) yeah exactly or another client like put their product in compostable packaging but they had like a granola bar and the compostable packaging didn't have as long of a shelf life because the point is that it goes away at some point Mm -hmm. so the granola bars would end up stale like i wondered about that too
2: yeah (laughs) food so there's preservation functionality
0: there's end of life or like struggles. There's the price, there's the cost, et cetera. But I think the industry is working on it. It's just a really complex multi-stakeholder supply chain kind of issue. One thing that I'm most excited about recently is I think there's a lot of potential around seaweed for plastic alternatives like straws and different things like that. I think because some of the early, compostable utensils just didn't perform well like uh, Mm -hmm. talking to a company in Seattle that was early on and using compostable everything Ivers seafood so they've got chowder and stuff they were having problems with the compostable forks and spoons melting in their products whereas now with some newer products like seaweed based instead of based off of other things that are more resilient to heat and stuff so I think we're working on it. We're getting there, but it's just a really complex problem that has to do with infrastructure, material costs, scalability, and a bunch of other things. Um, so right now, I think it's just about using less packaging, not shipping water, lighter weight packaging, like doing different things like that. Is like the main challenge.
4: Mm-hmm. That makes it, it makes All right, sense. Get out mean, on that. <laughs> every new technology, whether it's in this case like organic based products, some engineer has to figure out what's going to work best. And it just seems like it, I mean, the seaweed one's interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember growing up having paper straws and I always liked them for some reason. And, and then they kind of went away and now they're, they're back, but I I still find it ironic when they give me a paper straw Mm -hmm. and it's in a plastic wrapper. You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff that I'm like, so weird. Yeah. You know, you went so yeah. far and then you gave up right at the end. <laughs>
0: Yep, for sure. Ron, yeah, were I you sure those
3: were straws and not the, like, candy that you tore off the top and poured
0: the sugar in your mouth?
2: Oh, man, I love those. Pixie sticks.
0: Yeah. Uh, Pixie yeah. sticks. Pixi,
2: Pixi, yeah. Pixi, Pixi I think those
0: yeah. were actually in paper. Maybe in paper. They probably they were paper, in
1: paper
2: for sure. Yeah. Because if you kept <laughs> them in your mouth too long, they would get all, like gummy on the end and create like a disgusting clot of crust
4: i was driving with my wife yesterday and she had some that she had what? bought because she grew up with them Hit them in her car so i wouldn't catch her <laughs> i
3: didn't even know they were around anymore why did yeah, she
4: have to hide them either. what are you gonna do because she knows i get on her case why are you eating that crap you know? Oh
2: my
0: god! Yeah. I love it. I recently found uh, pop rocks and uh, oh. zots recently again, which were like <laughs> oh, a, I love Zot. yeah, zots. Zots, we're in the middle, That's Karen's candy. Oh, yeah, that's
1: my. That is me. Urban myth:
4: drink yeah. Coke and pop rocks, and you're you're it's gonna Explode die. your stomach. I yeah. think right. Yes. Yeah, that? Like that?
2: Yeah. I think that's what parents tell you, so you don't have too much sugar, right? <laughs> Just one of those. Yeah.
0: Who knows? Maybe in plastic anyway. in Kansas exploded one time and now it's, it's the myth. <laughs> well, but uh, yeah. Gage, thank you for that. I, I, I have a, a
3: question for you. Just love your perspective. So everyone here on this podcast, we either met through uh, the how conference and the how community or the AIJ community. And I feel, you know, that has changed so much. So I'd love to just kind of hear you know, how how did the AIJ impact you? And, you know, um, what do you feel about organizations like that in the future?
0: Yeah, sorry. I was giggling for a moment because I was <laughs> thinking, you all met through how? And then you tell people, like, well, how did you meet? We met through how? And they're like, no, but how did you meet? No, how? No, how? And then you just yeah. get caught in that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a great who's on first. Uh, a yeah, good exactly. uh, Probably too young uh, for that, but... No, I I get that one too. Yeah. Um, So the question was AIGA. Yeah. Um, So for me, I found AIGA super early, uh, by which I mean I was in college realizing that I was about to graduate and realizing I was completely unprepared (laughs) to graduate at the same time. So I just started asking some questions of uh, my older siblings who were actually out in the working workplace at that point and one, my sister was working at Kohan in New York at the time. And I knew she worked with some designers. So I said, can you ask them what I need to do to like actually get a job and build a career around this after I get out of school? And one of the pieces of advice they said is join AIGA. And I was like, well, what the heck is AIGA? So I, I looked it up, realized they had student groups and I was still in school at the times and we didn't have a student group. So I figured, well, maybe we should have a student group. So I Talked to some fellow students and some professors and figured out how to create a student group and we launched a student group and then we did all sorts of fun things like portfolio reviews and poster shows and taught people screen printing and had like professionals come and guest speak and do all sorts of things. And from there, I just got hooked. Like I got hooked on the idea of building community around this profession. I got hooked on professional development and like connecting with fellow designers and maybe doing some cool stuff for the community so every place i moved since then after school i went to north carolina i just joined the north carolina board and started putting on programming when i left north carolina and ended up in wisconsin i joined the board and started putting on programming when i left north uh, wisconsin and moved to uh, washington state i just joined the board and started putting on programming and at that point around sustainability as well and eventually ended up in leadership roles and was the president of AIGA Seattle, joined uh, the Living Principles, which was the sustainable design Mm -hmm. initiative of AIGA and was kind of helping run uh, the website and some other programs around that. And then as that was sort of fading out, just due to like funding and attention, ended up getting sucked into the Design for Good task force. And that's where Justin and I connected and we were running the Design for Good Plus Design for Good or Plus Living Principles Task Force, kind of figuring out how to merge those two. And that's where we ended up creating Path to Impact. And then I ended up being President's Council Chair, which is basically the person who helps um, coordinate the efforts or or all the presidents of all the chapters around the country to like share knowledge and, and help each other out. So anyway, I've just gotten so much value out of building community, meeting people in each place that I moved, learning stuff from all those people like Justin that I get to collaborate with on projects over the time. You don't Challenging have to kiss
2: like- his ass here. It's okay. It's okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I'll I'm hold the kidding. other stuff for later. But, uh, <laughs> um, they, they, and then they just like just, me all just the stay project-
3: as a idiot. That's what Jamie's trying to say. So you keep going. Dude. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, just tone it down. I learned, I learned what not to do from Justin. We'll put it that way. But, <laughs> that sounds uh,
2: more acceptable.
0: Yeah, so like all the projects I got to do through that, like putting on events or creating things like Path to Impact are things that I wouldn't have necessarily wow. done in my job. So it was like a great outlet to explore other interests and put effort into things. But bottom line, it was just a great place to, to build, a, build a network, connect with people and learn stuff. And then if you get involved, you also get to kind of design the community around what you want. So because I'm into sustainability and impact and design mm-hmm. for good, when I was at the Seattle chapter, I kind of restructured the chapter to uh, be focused more on design for good. Right? I got to be selfish, but also while well, giving back to the community. So, I, I don't know. There's there's lots of benefits about joining a professional network like AAGA.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty an amazing organization.
3: Yeah, I think Where's that. Um, I sorry, just really quick. I I definitely want you to share with everyone what Path to Impact is and what it's about. But I don't know about you guys we've talked a little bit about this, like with how, but it seems like some of those communities are just like going away or transforming. And and, uh, as you're sitting here telling your story, I don't know about what you guys would say. But if someone came up to you today, and this is for anyone here, and said, hey, you know, what should I connect to? Where would I go? What would you tell them these days?
1: I think it depends on the city. I think Mm -hmm. Detroit off and on has had, and I think I've talked to you about this before, Justin. They've off and on had, you know, okay AIGA,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, experiences. I was actually the designed for good. No in-
0: offense, Detroit, we love you. <laughs> no offense, Detroit,
1: but it has been a challenge. I'm here, so I'm I'm perfectly fine saying that. Um, and it's been it's been a huge challenge. So I think it completely depends on the city you're in, as when it comes to AIGA, um, that's been my experience. And I well, was actually, like, like I said, the impact director for like a year and a half. And we did amazing stuff. It was so fun. I didn't know but that. That's awesome. Politics got in. Yeah, I know. You probably didn't. But politics of, uh, you know, the politics of AIGA, the chapter, got in the way. and
0: Yeah, so but to I your heard. point... Uh- over time there are groups like creative morning and other oh um, yeah some cities like what is it dallas i think has the dallas society of visual arts or some something like that that like competes with them and it's it's very regional when i moved to right. Wisconsin, like grand I rapids has that. a
1: fantastic design for good um, yeah. chapter They're, it's just fantastic so a lot some of the people from you know this side of the state and would go over there and participate because it was
4: just such a great chapter. Um, where did you go to art school?
0: I went to Colorado, Colorado State University. Yay. I was kind of poking around, looking at like art-specific colleges, and applied to like both Boulder and and CSU. Um, and ended up at Colorado State University just because it seemed like the better design department in state, and I couldn't necessarily afford to go out of state. So, so, <laughs> so that's so where I ended did, up. I feel like it was a decent program. but.
4: How did you end up in Seattle then?
0: Oh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm a, I am like change. I like newness. I like exploring. I like culture. I like food. So um, right after college, basically, just moved and we didn't know where to move at the time my girlfriend and i were moving together and we decided to take a road trip (laughs) like (laughs) out towards the east thinking maybe we want to settle somewhere south maybe we want to settle somewhere east mid east or northern east or whatever so we just took a road trip and hit a bunch of cities from that we looked up on various like livability websites or whatever and ended up settling in charlotte north carolina which was fairly up and coming city at the time just booming Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a great spot to land and buy a piece of uh, property or or real estate or whatever and make a little quick cash on it. But then uh, we moved from there, traveled, and then ended up in Wisconsin because it was uh, low cost of living and good beer community, good food community, and so on and so forth. So it seemed like a good place to restart. And then after we started the business, Modern Species, in Wisconsin, it was growing faster than we intended we realized we we're going to have to start hiring employees and we didn't know if we wanted to get st- stuck in Wisconsin. Maybe that's a, a bad way of putting it, but like, you know, you got a question, like, do I want to be here for the rest of my life? Cause it's I'm going to hire a bunch of employees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, I didn't like the winters, winters at all. I love the food and the beer, but like the winters sucked, the summers mm-hmm. sucked because it was like hot and humid. Like there was almost no time of year that was like a good you temperature. Have July. Me.
2: I think you have one month. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Totally. So we looked around of like where would be good to run a business and like be near the organic or you know purpose driven food community and so on and so forth. And we came up with a list of places, and Seattle just ended up winning on like a spreadsheet point score, and uh, we just decided to move out that direction and give it a shot. <laughs> That was about ten years ago, I think. Since we moved out there, I recently moved from Seattle down to Olympia, though, to be closer to the Olympic. Hey, that's Olympics where than I grew. the rainforest. Oh, really? Nice yeah. in yeah. Olympia. Okay, that's cool. So yeah, we're out by Evergreen State College now, which is just a bunch of beautiful kind of forests and out our, by the our
4: greeners. Our, our,
0: yeah, <laughs> they're the uh, what are they called? The gooey ducks. The, the team? team. Any sports team.
4: <laughs> did you know they Which have if a... Anyone uh, hasn't
0: looked at the gooey duck yet, just Google search that. Yeah. Hit pause on this. Google search that. You're going to be really <laughs> creeped out and then come back.
4: Okay. Oh uh, they so also... Scared. That college also has a nudist beach. I didn't know if you knew that.
0: <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right.
4: Well, okay, Gage, you make... I've it. never been to it. I just... I
3: I love that we're going to put that in the show notes. So, Jamie, good luck researching that one.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm terrified (laughs) already. I I have ADD, so I get distracted. I'm not going to look till after. I'll save that surprise.
0: The gooey surprise. (laughs) Spelled (laughs) Geoduck for those Googling it right now. So, Geo. Oh, Geo.
2: I thought you said gooey. Didn't you say gooey? It is. That's how it's pronounced.
0: (laughs) But it's spelled Geoduck. So, just for those Googling it right now. It may or may not look like a giant penis.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Man, where do we go from here? (laughs) My face is all red. Let's
1: talk about your podcast, Gage. We want to hear about Uh, your podcast.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. But yeah, last year decided to start a podcast. You know, it was something I never thought I would get into, but essentially I... During the pandemic, I wanted to connect people in this purpose driven or impact driven CPG space so that we could all learn from each other, grow, et cetera, because all the trade shows got canceled. So, I started just connecting people on Zoom meetings and then Zoom fatigue hit it, set in, right? So, like nobody wanted to come to Zoom meetings anymore. So, I just asked the community, hey, where would you like this content? And they said maybe a podcast, YouTube channel. So, I started both <laughs> and uh, just didn't know what I was doing. But started it and uh, got going early last year. We're getting close to have recorded. Well, I guess we've technically recorded over a hundred episodes now, so it's going strong. We just hit, I think, with this show as well in the top ten percent of podcasts globally ranking. So it feels like we're on the scoreboard and we're Mm -hmm. doing something right, and we can keep moving forward from there. So that's exciting. But. Um, for anyone listening, who's interested in it, the show is all about, I, I interview a lot of founders or marketing directors or designers or sustainability folks, et cetera, who have something to do with making, being involved in growing better for the world product brands. So we can learn from each other we can be inspired by each other. And maybe you can also find some cool products you want to buy <laughs> in the grocery store. Um, but it's, a uh, You can just find info at evolvecpg.com or just any um, podcast platform that you like to look at. And you know, we're we're continually evolving, so we might shake the show up a little bit, but it'll always focus around like purpose-driven products, brands, and people.
2: It's
1: awesome. There's a community around that as well, too, that you're building.
0: Correct. Yeah. So I I figured um, it might be nice to, whereas podcast format feels a little bit like you're speaking at people sort of, you know, like you, you put stuff out there and then it's hard for people to interact with you other than follow and listen. So I figured for those who want to go a little bit deeper, uh, we put up a platform uh, or a community on the Mighty Networks platform for Evolve CPG. So if you're in the industry, a designer, a marketing person, a founder or whatever, we've got a space for you to connect with other people and swap ideas, share resources, etc. Sometime in the near future, we're going to be launching a growth group for those who want a more guided experience, where you can have kind of mentors helping you figure out how to grow your brand and scale your impact. But right now, it's just a free open space for people to pop in and share their knowledge and get inspired by each other, connect, like make connections, make friends, or you know, get info you wouldn't have gotten other uh, in other places. And we're going to be pulling in courses on like how to grow your brand on TikTok or sustainable packaging or getting into retail or whatever else. So my, my hope is that it will become kind of a one-stop shop to some degree for anyone looking to build an impact brand. And then you can start there, find stuff, and then you can shoot out from there and find uh, areas you wanted to go deeper in.
1: That's fascinating. I, I would think that there's a lot of younger designers up and coming that would really benefit from a community like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There's like the climate designers community too. I don't know if y'all have talked about that much, but it's like for people interested in designing, uh, in a more sustainable way that would be more climate friendly. There's, um, a climate designers community that I'm part of. I'm not running that one, but, but it's a similar idea of just connecting Slacker. creatives, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> connecting creatives in a space to like share information and stuff. Wow. Yeah, I should have started that one myself, huh?
2: I know. Come on. You I mean, seems like you have this whole plethora of other ideas. Just missed out on the I one. Do, I, yeah, well, one. I do Yeah,
0: one of the thoughts is if the evolved CPG works, maybe I'll do evolved design. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Climate designers might have that covered.
1: Well, I will say I think we've all stopped printing the way we used to. So that's gotta be yeah. helping. That's gotta be saving a few trees.
0: It's definitely gotten lessened, but the thing is like <laughs> you don't have to stop printing if you print the right way, right? Yeah. You can print on It's actually better for the environment, I was going to say. Yeah. 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 I was trying to totally. be
2: quiet. Miss Paper over here I was like, "Oh."
0: Yeah. yeah. You can print on FSC certified environmentally friendly, unble- you know, whatever like the Nina right. Environment line or the Mohawk options, I think it's called or something like that. But, yeah, um, well, Karen, one of the things Lines too, of paper that are better.
3: One of the things you were asking Gage earlier about about B Corp, one of the things that are is part of our requirements or one of the things that we can get points on is do we audit our vendor partners? So for example, like our printer. So every mm-hmm. printer that we work with, they need to have um, you know, a certain level of uh, chain of responsibility. So we can print and not harm the environment, but actually mm-hmm. benefit the envi- environment. So things like that are really beneficial. And that's where I learned, I'm like, actually, you can print uh, today in a way that's super beneficial. Um, right. which isn't Which is counter to how we think, right? We think, oh, printing and ink is bad and paper yeah. and all that sort of thing. But that's, that's not necessarily true. So there's lots of options out there if we continue to educate ourselves.
1: Yeah, I do a lot of work for the Detroit Zoo and everything has to have certifications. The printer that, you know, and I can't speak to what all those certifications are, unfortunately. But yeah, it is something that we have to take into consideration on all their work.
2: But so from all the research I've yeah. done in that space it seems like the printers um for the most part I mean I know that there're still the big you know giant printers out there you know that aren't that aren't always doing it right but it sometimes it seems like printers are at the forefront of that movement because yeah. they felt it coming you know when when people started passing off things that digital was better than print. I think there was a very, you know, an aggressive need to be defensive there. And, and they, most of the ones, I mean, soy ink is kind of standard. Now, Mm -hmm. most of the foils that are out there, the certain types of foils out there that they've really come a long way in being sustainable. And, you know, they're trying to go along with the paper movement to, to just really improve, you know, I feel like they're at the forefront of some of this sustainability yeah.
0: movement. Yeah, I don't think it's as much of a problem with printers these days because mo- more and more of them are on board with this and maybe mm-hmm. pushing the industry forward. Mm-hmm. It's designers' awareness of what yeah. to ask for and exactly. client budgets that, yep. are, uh, that are the that are the real problem. Like if a client's like, I just need this thing as cheap as possible and a designer isn't aware enough how to do that with Recycled or FSC materials or whatever. Uncoated. That's papers, where the problem sure. comes in, right? Mm-hmm. But if a designer knows that sustainability is also economy, not just environment, then they know that if I tweak this brochure, for example, by half an inch uh, height or something, I can get more of these up on one press sheet. Therefore, get you know one point five times the brochures printed in less in the same amount of paper you're reducing material waste, you're reducing paper costs, and you're justifying the use of the slightly more expensive FSC certified paper or whatever. So there are tactics to make sure that you're being more sustainable while also being affordable. But if designers don't know how to do that, then they're not suggesting it. And if clients only want cheap, then sometimes they go with cheap, even though you could have done it affordably with more sustainable materials. Uh, a good book, it's it's kind of an older book now, but a good book to look at for anyone interested in that is Green Graphic Design by Brian Doherty of Celery Design. It's a good primer on some of those kind of things.
2: If you want to start that organization, let me know. We can partner up. I have a lot of passion yes. for <laughs> paper and printing industry. Um, yeah. Hey, look, That's I it. warned you, Gage, before we got on the show that I was going to ask you about what your most favorite shit show moment of your career is with, I mean, surely with all the organizations you've uh, headed up and started and forged your own path, there has to be a good story buried in there somewhere.
0: Yeah. You know, I was actually thinking about this before the show and I've got so many stories of like (laughs) shit show around like intense timelines where something that should take a year we had to do in two months or something like that, or client quirks of, you know, kind of, hurry up and slow down kind of stuff where they tell you the deadline is now but they don't get their own shit together in order for you to do your job or even just like running a business like running a design studio and the, there's always a new challenge whether it's team members coming and going whether it's a pandemic whether it's all of a sudden your client that was 5% of your business becomes 50% of your business overnight and you got to figure out how to balance that with other clients like there's just so many things or in my industry, like packaging regulations constantly for different countries or different things and just keep track of all that information is just insane. So like the whole profession, the whole running a business, being in design, whatever is a shit show. But as I was thinking about this and having indecision of which thing to talk about, I realized is my indecision maybe caused by partly my ADHD and having all the ideas and <laughs> not wanting to focus on any one of them. And I seem to remember I heard like one of your episodes talking about like Enneagrams and stuff. And Jamie, I think <laughs> you mentioned being like ADD or ADHD. Oh, yeah. So I actually thought like, what if the shit show conversation is like, what if we chat about that? Like, what if we talk about personality types, neurodivergence, mental health, and other things like that? Like, I am ADHD as well, and and the reason I bring this up is I, I was diagnosed as a kid, decided not to take the meds, thought I was, like, figured it out on my own as an adult because I'm fairly productive, whatever. But the more I actually go back and, like, relearn ADHD, the more I realize a lot of my quirks are very still ADHD. The fact that I, like, have multiple businesses and nonprofits and other things that I'm doing at the same time, the fact that it's hard to make decisions, the fact that, like, I've just have a hard time concentrating unless it's something I'm really interested in. Like there's so many things that make me a shit show. I figure out how to make it work. Right. And like maybe my employees are frustrated or whatever at times because of my like indecision. But anyway, long story short, I heard Justin, I think you're a Enneagram three and maybe yep. it was Jamie as well. And I'm also Enneagram three. I'm pretty sure the time I took it, but Have you all heard of also the saboteurs test that you can take?
2: Oh, my God. Gage just had me take this. It is so awesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so there's this website
0: called Positive positive Intelligence or something like that. But if you just search like saboteurs quiz, I think it is.
2: We'll put Uh, it in the notes.
0: yeah, but you can take that test, and on that test, I'm like hyperachiever and restless. Remind like top two things, which also tie to ADHD and probably Enneagram three and ENFJ Myers Briggs. So, anyway, long story short, I thought it could be fun to actually talk about the shit shows we create by being who we are to some degree, and how do we like, how do we lean into the things that make a make those things a superpower, while also minimizing. <laughs> The things that make those things um, difficult for others or difficult for ourselves. So
2: can we so. come on your podcast and we have that discussion on your podcast?
0: Yeah. Or, or we need to have
3: Maybe. you back and have a whole podcast just yeah. on this topic. Because I think it's I think definitely a something. shit
2: show topic. Yeah. I love it. I think just that's so amazing.
3: But if anyone's so on back. ADHD medicine, do not take it that day. And then we'll really have a great episode.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Bring yes, your yes, best
2: shit show personality. <laughs>
0: Well, just unedited, everyone talking over each other. It's just like right. a million There's ideas. there you first. go. I can't just go all over the place. But anyway, I thought Dance. that that's...
1: shiny object, shiny object, yeah. shiny object.
3: Well, Gage, <laughs> thank you so much, my man, for your time. And I, I just, um, man, I'm so grateful for the work you're doing out in the world. And mm-hmm. I've, I've told you this several times, but you have been such a great inspiration to me, and and you've impacted my career and my firm. And please keep doing what you're doing. And uh you're just you're just a good egg, Noonan. Um it's good to have you it's good to have you on our show.
1: Yeah, this was wonderful. Uh,
2: sustainable shit show.
0: <laughs> that's I've been, I've been thinking for so,
2: the catchphrase the whole time, yeah. you know. I think that's the title.
3: We
0: should change the podcast to the compostable toilet. You know, <laughs> oh, we're a shit show. But it's sustainable. Oh my gosh, it's that's good gonna good to be our green
3: version of the podcast. There you go. We now have a new podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, my house is on a sep- septic system, which is essentially the same thing, right? Compostable toilet. But anyway,
3: <laughs> sorry. Vaughn is working on the logo right now. We'll 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 yeah. it soon.
0: Vaughn, we <laughs> need uh, a, a swirly pile of poop on a toilet, but like a green leaf at the end, or something. <laughs> That's
2: the paper. Like a <laughs> Thank you, Gage. Then, you're yeah. awesome. So much fun. Thanks so much, guys.
0: Thank you all for doing what you're doing and talking about the shitty side of. <laughs> all the the things that we do as professionals but uh also just appreciate the kind of inspiration and humor and everything else you're doing on the show so thanks for having me on it was a fun chat thank you